0: This is the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast, where we bring on the experts to teach you the golden nuggets of real estate investing so you can escape the rat race and start living life on your terms. Now, here's your host, Dalen Hazel. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. And uh, in today's episode, I sit down with Michael McDonald. He's an awesome real estate investor and friend out of Nebraska. And he does deals all over the Midwest now, so primarily wholesaling, and he does obviously his own rentals and flips. And he's just a wealth of knowledge about not having to operate necessarily in your own market. So if you all feel like your market's tapped out or uh, you live in a more expensive market, um, listen to this interview with Michael McDonald. He's going to share a lot of nuggets about virtual real estate investing, which is his specialty. So without further ado, here's my podcast interview with Michael McDonald. Michael McDonald, welcome to the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast. How's it going?
1: Hey, man. It's, it's awesome. Uh, happy to be here. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: Yeah, we've been Facebook friends for a while and I've been following your journey and I thought it'd be a great time to have you on. So um, just for the audience that don't know about you and your companies, um, fill us in here. What do you got going on in real estate?
1: Okay. So as of right now I live in Las Vegas um, born and raised in Nebraska my home buying company is actually based in Nebraska so thought it'd be a good idea um, about a, yeah, probably a year after getting into real estate altogether about four years ago to um, sell my house and, and uh, start a business and move across the country so uh, that's what I did to kick off, uh, kick off the company that we now have. So we have a home buying company. We wholesale, we fix and flip. And then we also have a rental, uh, holding company where we buy and hold, um, property. And so, um, that's where we're at today. Obviously it didn't start there. There was a lot of, uh, learning lessons along the way, which we can of course get into that, but that's where we're at today.
0: Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. Um, You obviously have inspired me to, you know, not only jump into wholesaling and figure out what it's like, because I mean you've done some deals in in my market in southwest Missouri. And I'm like, man, what is that? And so as I followed you, I've started to actually been exposed to virtual wholesaling, which I haven't started yet. So the talk of our show is going to be virtual wholesaling and also how to scale the company from, you know, two, three, four deals a month to I think you mentioned, you know, 15 to 20 is what where you kind of are right now. And so Let's just dive right in. Um, for those who don't know what virtual wholesaling is, um, give us the rundown on that.
1: Yeah, so really, I mean, for your audience listening, most of you probably know what what wholesaling is, and so you just take that and you you make it virtual. And really, what that looks like is nothing's changed except for you're not actually going out to inspect the properties in person. A lot of the deals that we're doing are happening over the phone, and so. We're typically having a conversation. Um, One of two things is gonna happen. We're either going to take the seller's advice, which we all know how that typically goes when you take their word for what the repair costs are. Um, Sometimes they're very transparent and and, and accurate. Other times, not so much. But if we feel really good about the deal, we'll go ahead and follow up with an offer contract and then we'll validate and verify after we have an agreement. and then sometimes we'll get photos and we'll do an inspection prior to with our boots on the ground in that specific market. But there's no difference between wholesaling and virtual wholesaling aside from the fact that you're just not in that location. We're still getting the contract. We're still assigning that contract to an end user buyer who ends up purchasing that property for us and then we make the fee in the middle.
0: Right, yeah, and it's 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 really simple, um, but it's obviously harder you know, easier said than done or whatever they say. Um, I guess what all I've done is local wholesaling, right? So I'm in my market. I get a lead. I get them on the phone, set the appointment, go to the house, make them an offer. Okay. The only time I'm going to the house is that first meeting. Okay. So it seems to me pretty easy to make that jump from wholesaling to virtual wholesaling because you just have to figure out the the repairs and what the house looks like You know, and so you're saying you do that after you get the signed contract?
1: Yeah, no, we're still doing our due diligence on the first phone call. We're still gathering information about, is this property going to need a new kitchen, new bathroom? And then we'll have like a general scope of work before we actually present any offers. Right. But uh, it it varies because some people are going to be agreeable to doing business without you actually coming out to the property and some people just won't whether they're older, they, they're a handshake type of person which, which is how I, was, how I grew up. I'm, and that was a really hard mind shift for me to get over is why would these people sell us this house? Number one, at a discount, right? Cause we're actually need to buy this property uh, below market and then number two, without even meeting them. And so it was really a mind shift that we had to get over but it's really no different um, we can still build just as much rapport with that seller on the phone. Right.
0: Yeah. With technology and everything. And so, um, so, so you do the initial screening of the lead, you know, you're on the phone anyway, even if you're in your own market, you're going to be screening that lead over the phone. And then when it comes to uh, the verification stage, I mean, do you have somebody on your team that goes out there like a local guy on Craigslist? I mean, how are you getting eyes on the property, to do that verification
1: stage. Yeah, so what's awesome is when we do get the contract on the phone, um, if the sellers are willing to send us photos, we won't even go out and do the validate and verify. We will have the buyers who are going to purchase the property from us or with us, depends on how you wanna word it, um, and they'll go out. Um, The the, the challenge with that, that you, you can only imagine is you're gonna have people who wanna go behind your back Um, we're going to just try to strike up that conversation to say, hey, seller, I know what's going on here. You know, I'll just uh, buy it from you for the price they were wanting to buy it for. And then you're cut out of the deal. Thankfully, we've never had that happen. The biggest thing is just setting the stage. If that's not a possibility, of course, getting the photos and having your buyers do that, then is now where you have to be a little bit more resourceful. Mm -hmm. If you have like a market that you're consistently doing deals in, like kind of a right-hand go-to person, you can find them in, in RIA groups, somebody who's just getting started or somebody who's uh, an agent who is happy to help you and just pay for their time. So we'll find somebody like that. If they have a license, it doesn't really matter. Um, depends on the state, of course, but we'll just pay them for their time to go to go do that for us, so, to just open the door basically and let the people walk through and be that, that uh, mediator, if you will.
0: Right. Yeah. It seems like virtual wholesaling. You're a lot more dependent on people, and that's not a bad thing. It's just you have to depend on those relationships, um, and you can't just do it all yourself. Like, oh, just gonna run over to your house and meet you there, and you can't do it all yourself that way. And so, um, gotcha. So this allows you to really do a lot more deals per month, I assume, because you're not restricted by um, like going and physically driving there, um, and then you can open yourself up to bigger markets, more markets. Is that what you're seeing?
1: yeah so what moving to Vegas really did, and for I don't know if I mentioned this for for people watching, I, I in Nebraska is where I'm from. I moved from Lincoln to Las Vegas. It really just removed me from doing the stuff that was kind of a waste of time. And I'm not saying going on appointments is a waste of time because I think that's really good to develop that skill set. but I even if we have a deal in Vegas now, I won't go to the house unless it's absolutely necessary. and obviously we have we have team as well to go out if necessary because how much time do you waste when you're driving across a big city Yeah. in this case 45 minutes to an hour one way and then an hour on the appointment you're wasting three hours of your day right and so the person who goes out there can have the same conversation and then i can have a follow-up call at the seller and do the same thing as if i was there and i didn't spend more than 10 minutes yeah so the efficiency level is just ridiculous. And after, after experiencing this, I'm like, man, why did I ever go see a house? In yeah.
0: Person? Well, you're hitting me where it hurts. Cause I had, I had four appointments yesterday, like the most I'd ever have in, in months and uh, two were no shows. So I drove out to the house and they no showed me. So all right. I could get was a picture of the exterior annoying. Right. And then the other two, like, I mean, yeah, you might have a higher closing rate, if you're there in person, especially if they're the older demographic, but what are you losing in having to physically drive there? Oh, I'm running late. You know, the seller's running late, I'll, you know? And so you're just having all this back and forth when really you're doing deals. Um, so it, it doesn't really have to be done uh, in person. You, it's a mind shift for sure. And I'm sure you've lost deals by being
1: hundred percent virtual, right? Of course. Yeah. I mean, we, we've definitely, lost deals, but we've, we've won a lot of deals too, from being quicker. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've talked to a seller who, when you get on the phone with them, you know, for a fact that they're selling a the house today, right? Yeah. Yeah. And those it, typically when those people have decided they're going to make a decision pretty quickly. Um, and a lot of times they could care less if you come look at the house first, they're just like, I'm done. First person that gets to me gets the house. Like that's some of the people who we talked to and I got one for you, man. Today, for the first time ever, we had somebody want us to fax them the purchase agreement. Okay. Um, so we, we faxed the purchase agreement today to get signed, which is completely bizarre. I never thought I would say that. Um, but it really comes down to do whatever it takes. We've had people ask us to mail them the purchase contracts, overnight them the contract. They don't have email. Like you hear it all. And fax yeah. is a new one. Day.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I, I would have jumped on like hellofax.com. You know, I wouldn't have driven to the library and faxed it. <laughs> but, um, right. Yeah. Is that what you did? Did you go on? Did you use like a website for that?
1: We use our title, the title company just did it company. for us. We just sent, up the yeah. contract and they sent it for us. So
0: it's kind of a side topic, but I like to meet sellers where they're at. Like if they're only texting me and they won't take my calls, I have no problem just texting them. Like meet them where they're at. Maybe they're a busy professional and they can only text or email. Like, don't be offended by that. Just meet them where they're at and you'll eventually, you know, you'll break that ice. So what are some challenges? I mean, I know you talked about sometimes people might attempt to go behind your back. What are some other challenges to this virtual wholesaling model that somebody might want to be aware of?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, there's definitely been a lot of lessons. I believe the biggest one is the the behind your back and just finding somebody who can go have a good showing without there being any crazy stuff that have happened. I mean, I have stories for days of things that have happened, unfortunately, just situations where buyers don't really, it's like a free for all. It's like they see a good deal. And then all of a sudden they just go knock on the door Mm -hmm. and it catches somebody off guard. And so that's the biggest one it just comes down to setting the expectation with people, right? Like you have to have the expectation set with the seller and you have to have the expectation set with the buyer and really just let them know what's going to happen. What could happen. If it does, what do you do that way? When it does happen, they're like, Oh yeah, he told me about that. And I know what to do. Crazy how that works.
0: Right. Setting expectations is, is huge for, for any business, uh, whether you're dealing with employees or clients. I mean, it it really, if you set the expectation, it, you may think that, oh man, they're not going to trust me because I'm virtual or I'm in a different state, but just, just be forefront and honest about it. It's like when I make offers, just, just make the offer, quit trying to sugarcoat it, quit trying to be the seller's friend, just make the offer and they'll actually respect you for it. If they don't, then they aren't the right fit anyway. That's right. Um, Let me ask you this. So like one challenge for me would be if you're virtual wholesaling, you're kind of pigeonholing yourself into one strategy. And if it's not a wholesale deal, then you just have to walk away from it. But what if it's like a good rental deal or a good flip deal? Um, What do you do in that case? Do you just walk away? Hey, I can't wholesale it. or, Or do you, do you still buy the deal in some cases?
1: Yeah, it really just depends. So we we haven't really ran into any situations to where we found a property in a market where we're like, oh, we gotta have this property. Uh, for us, it's an it's an addition to our core market, which is um, flipping and rentals. Uh, we we've flipped a house in Florida before, in in South Dakota, in other Iowa and other parts of the Midwest, specifically where it's a good, it's a, it's a better deal than a wholesale. So we'll take it down. Right. And we can make the decision from there. Do we want to line up all the people to try to actually full blown flip this property? Or do we want to just clean it up and then listen on the retail market and really maximize the profit? Yeah. Um, and before we do all that, before we take it down, we of course have to be okay with what if we get stuck with it? Is this a property that makes sense? <laughs> and typically the answer is yes. I mean, in the Midwest, especially, you know how cheap you can find properties for. Uh, the best one we've got so far this year is a, I think a thousand bucks or two thousand bucks we bought a house Jeez. for. So we can find them for pretty <laughs> My best cheap.
0: is 6,000.
1: <laughs> That's pretty cheap. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cheap, but they're out there. Yeah,
0: they are. Yeah, and, and virtual just opens up your your mind to all sorts of things um like that. So do you try to stick to the major metros with like large populations or do you go rural or do you do small towns um or anything? What what's your what's your ideal market?
1: Yeah, I mean, the ideal market is typically at least 100,000 people or more. Mm-hmm. There's like a fine line I believe when it comes to virtual wholesaling. You can play in the playground of the hedge funds. Um which is a tougher playground to play in just because there's more options for sellers. Yeah. Or you could play in the playground of there's nobody that even wants to buy there, which we've done before. And it's just, it makes it so much more challenging to disposition the property. You can find them for cheap, but somebody has to want to buy it. So where we found the most success is really that that medium market, um, like Springfield. I mean, Springfield's a great market. It is. Lincoln, Omaha, um, Cedar Rapids, like different medium-sized markets mm-hmm. are where we like to um, like to market to. And then inevitably, you're going to have properties that come in in small towns in the middle. Right. Of the, or you have a decision to make. Do you want to completely lowball and buy for as cheap as you possibly can? Um, or is it just a pass? Um, and, and then you don't offend anybody and, and you know it's going to be tougher to disposition anyway because we've wasted, um, it, there's been a learning curve of wasting time on small town deals where we bought it for a ridiculously low price. And it seems like a no brainer for somebody to pick this up. Uh, But we have a really hard time dispositioning the property. Right.
0: And and that's something that I'm thinking about going into this, you know, quarter three, quarter four is that buyers, I think, have the opportunity to be a little more picky now. And it's, you know, a year ago you could just, everything was a deal um, because you could always find the next, you know, the, the whole, Dumber guy rule or something. You can always find somebody dumber than you to pay more, or whatever. But now we're seeing that that's maybe not the case all the time. And there's certain pockets of towns that I've found that nobody wants to touch right now. Yeah. And so that's just something to be aware of for all those who are interested in wholesaling. Because you're not going to know if you're virtual. You're not going to have really driven that market. You're not going to have visited it. Maybe. So you don't know the neighborhoods that are good. That's why. Do you depend on realtors for? specific
1: market info like that? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of our last resort and it's maybe the wrong way to look at it, but we have, we have a pretty big network of investors and investors know what we do and what we look for. And so like, just from being in masterminds and just from being in the business, you kind of get to know people like, Hey, I know somebody in Minnesota, like they'll know exactly about this neighborhood or this market specifically. Mm -hmm. And so when that comes up, we just are resourceful and to hit our contacts first if we don't have a contact, then we'll reach out to a local agent. Just maybe say, "Hey, what do you think about this market? Um, is this neighborhood good, bad? Should we? You know, what should we look out for?" Gotcha. Well, I could
0: talk about virtual wholesaling more, and and you've got a program on this which we'll talk about at the end. But I want to get to also scaling a company because I told you before the show, like I'm at that sweet four to six deals a month, and I think that's where a lot of people are. They're doing deals and they're happy with their income and their life, but they want to do more, and so as far as scaling, you know, that's the buzzword right now, but uh, really it comes down to people and processes. So first part of that would be people. I mean, staffing wise, what kind of staff do you need first to start the process of scaling? Because you can do three to five deals a month by yourself with no staff. I mean, it'd be hard, but what's that first team member you need to have on to start the the process going upward?
1: Yeah. So I think um, the first person really needs to be like a lead manager slash admin who can who can help out with a few hats because in a small business and even today yeah we've grown to you know eight to ten employees mm-hmm. and that may vary depending on virtual assistants and stuff like that but really it's like who can help you with transaction coordination which to me is like uh, One of the things that you want to get off your plate as quickly as possible, because that transaction coordination could take up a lot of your time. Yeah. But also you want to be generating enough leads to really try to bring on some more people and you want to overwhelm yourself with leads so you can uh, delegate that to somebody else who's really just talking to the people who are tire kickers. And then you, as the business owner in the beginning, only want to be talking to the people who are ready to do business or you're going on appointments to um, make offers with or if it's in a virtual setting, obviously you're the one making those calls and and making those offers from there. So it's really just that admin position. You can do either lead management and or a combination of transaction coordination. That's really the first person that you need.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And since you're virtual, do you, I mean, you have people all over the U S dialing for you, you know, making these calls or do you use overseas help or, or how do you manage that side?
1: Yeah, so because we have the foundation in Nebraska, and that's where a lot of our business happens. Still, even though I am virtual, um, I am blessed with a business partner who manages the construction side of the business and does a lot of. He wears a lot of other hats in in regards to that. But we we have an office. Um, at our office, we have a train office manager as well as a so full time office manager, a full time. Um, disposition specialist Mm -hmm. and as well as a transaction coordinator and then also locally we we do have an acquisition management or manager who oversees um a couple of virtual people and the virtual people one of them is in states they're actually in kentucky um, out of all places and they help with... Um, they're kind of like the junior acquisitions. And then on top of that, we do have a couple of virtual acquisitions mm-hmm. who are um, weeding through some of the stuff that I mentioned in the beginning like the lead manager would do. And so two overseas and yeah, like six in in the States.
0: Yeah, yeah. I love having overseas help do the weeding through. So. Like I have a lead manager and I have six criteria that make somebody a lead. Like one is they're asking less than Zillow. Another is maybe the house is vacant and she's just checking each box. And if they meet a certain amount of boxes, then it's qualified, then I can talk to them and, and they're worth, you know, making an offer on. And so I think for people that are interested in scaling, you're going to need processes like that. You're going to need people in the right place. You're going to need criteria, checklists, um, that you didn't really need to have when you were doing one or two deals a month. And so once somebody has the lead manager, office manager, what's the next step? Is it, I've heard from people, you know, it's an acquisition manager. Um, What's the next step
1: for you? Yeah. I think, I think acquisitions is key, you know, uh, being consistent with being able to get properties bought correctly at the right price is, is important. And a lot of it has to do with sales. You know, if, if, you, if you can't have a good enough conversation to convince that person to, and you're not even really selling them. It's like, hey, listen, here's our offer. We're not the right fit for everyone. Um, but having somebody who can make those calls consistently, um, then you don't really have a business. Yeah. And the goal is to scale this beyond just me and you, right? It's yeah. like to scale this to a, a company to where if I'm on a podcast like this, I know that my team is still out like the marketing is still going. Yeah. The, 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 the leads are still coming in and my team are, are is still, still closing deals. And that's, and that's the key. And so that acquisition is key, but then you got to think about the virtual model. Well, now what? We've got to sell these deals. So yeah. now we need somebody who is able to do that piece as well and build the relationships with buyers. And so acquisition would be next and then for sure dispositions. Um, you're basically just wanting to get yourself to the point where you can't do it all anymore because in the the beginning you can wear all the hats but when you're doing 10 to 20 deals at a time um you're spread too thin
0: yeah and that's why these people these so-called gurus i mean they have time to create content online they have time to buy big uh complexes is because they've hired out the nitty-gritty they're not showing houses to buyers they're not dealing with transaction coordination they figured this stuff out so i think you're well on the way to do that um, what's your ultimate goal with Rocket how, uh, Home Buyers? Is it to just create a bunch of active income so you can pour it into passive income-producing assets, or because um, that's that's my goal, honestly? So, what is yours?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was that's the biggest thing, man. Is to yeah, the financial freedom, and then just being able to live the life on my own terms. And so, in the beginning, it was all about just get me out of the job you know I, I didn't go into my background of really how i got into the business but yeah i was i went to school i got a job and i wasn't making that much money at my job and i was like okay i just want to replace that income first and foremost and then it was like okay i want the capital to be able to invest in assets that are going to pay me forever and so yeah that's that's the goal mm-hmm. but then also it's it's bigger than that we want to be nationwide we want to be in at least 12 to 40 different markets and uh, you know, the number of deals isn't as as important as it is the impact about the amount of people that we can actually help, and so it's more than the money for me. It's about the impact that I'm going to make along the way, and then also the lives that we're going to be able to change, not only the sellers but the the employees, um, mm-hmm. the people that we can partner with, the the buyers that we can sell deals to, because it's going to change their lives as well. So it's um it's really just a rewarding business for me altogether, and it's pretty much a dream come true to be honest with you, man. It's, it's yeah. I never thought I would say that about the career that I'm in four years ago. So.
0: Yeah. I came from the typical past as well, kind of like you and, uh, just was really unhappy and, and, uh, realized that it's, it's not very hard to make six figures in real estate pretty quickly. And you just get to doing that. Then you, you just, you continually grow yourself and grow your company. And it really is a, it's a virtuous thing to grow a company. Cause if you put, the right people in the right seats, like they're fulfilled and they're making commissions now, and they're they're growing their income and their potential. So, um, if you stay by yourself, if you're a one man show, that's fine. But you're not going to be able to provide that um, that fulfillment for other people. And that's so, such a good that. Yesterday, my yeah. my uh, my
1: sales guy, he, he actually kind of got emotional. It was his birthday, and he he's like, man, I just want to say thank you so much for this opportunity. A year ago like i I wasn't in the best spot financially, and today like he'll make far past six figures, and for me, it's to be able to provide opportunities for people that can change their lives too and and invest in real estate as well because we're you know we're like it's it's more than an employee for us it's it's like how can we help them reach and and live their dreams too and if that's investing in real estate, we want them to be able to do that by working for us and with us.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you keep your employees fulfilled, they're going to do better work and then they're going to get better results, which is going to go right back to their attitude. So keeping their attitude high is going to affect the results. It's just a constant circle of how that works. So, yeah. um, let's talk about marketing methods. For virtual, it, it seems like you'd have greater success, maybe cold calling and texting, maybe some online stuff. C- you, Cause you're trying to cater to people who are a little more savvy. Whereas my baby is <laughs> direct mail. It always has been so far, uh, but that works well. Cause I'm in that market, you know, it's locally postmarked. Um, what are your marketing channels and how's that been working for you?
1: Yeah, so um, I don't know if this is a good thing, but I've done it all, okay. I've done, in the beginning, it was bandit signs. Um, I just want to point this out because I think this is important. And then it was billboards. And, and then it was cold calling. And then it was direct mail. And by the way, I've done all of this and then and kind of just tweaked it as we went. So this is going to get to me to where I'm going. Digital marketing, we're doing television, right? So we're doing, we've done it all. And by doing it all, you really find out what works the best in this local market versus what works the best in the virtual market. and. The direct mail works good for the local market. I believe it can work okay for the virtual if you're very hyper-focused. Yeah. Um, but right now, digital marketing is where it's at for us. And when I say digital marketing, I'm referring to um, pay-per-click, uh, Google ads. So when somebody gets on the internet, searches, hey, sell my house fast, like you want to be at the top because you may not have that organic um, presence like we do in our local market. So you mm-hmm. you have to find a way to be seen. And the only way to be seen is if you pay for the advertising or is if you, of course, call or text them. And so we do a little bit of calling and texting as well. But um, it's not our focus in our virtual markets. PPC, online, Facebook, those are our, our best performing lists or uh, sources in our, our, our virtual markets.
0: Yeah, I love that because you know, people that are searching that are already interested. So you're not really interrupting their dinner or their day and it's easier on your salespeople.
1: Is that what you have found with that method? Yeah, man. I mean, you know how it is. If you're talking to a bunch of tire kickers, it can it, like people who didn't necessarily inquire to you to sell, it can be very draining. Mm-hmm. And so we burned out. We actually burned out one of our salespeople last year and he just didn't have what it took anymore to keep plowing through yeah. all of the leads that he had to sort through to get a deal. And so we, we, we changed our approach a little bit. Um, that's just part of the game, but it's so much better when you can have a deal like out of one in five or one in six or one in seven calls versus one in 100. It's right. a hundred. It's a lot more exciting when you can have those conversions, cool.
0: which is what we do with yeah. Google. Yeah, I love that. I'm I'm thinking about well, I've I've already put a lot of effort into SEO um to to get that train going. And uh I've done cold call and in, in, in text and it's fine. It's gotten me deals, but it's like the amount of people you have to talk to is is much higher. So um yeah. if you have a team, um the way to do more deals is to have higher quality leads. And and you know that. So that's where a lot of people go to the uh the online methods. So Awesome, Michael. Thank you for your insight on this. It's been really helpful for uh, somebody who's looking to, you know, it's good for a beginner who's wanting to do virtual. Maybe they live in California where it's harder to find wholesale deals, but also somebody like me who's kind of stuck around four to six deals and just wants to push past that glass ceiling. Any last remarks before we dive into the last section of our show uh, where we ask the same three questions to each guest?
1: Let's get to do it.
0: Awesome. Let's do it. So, this is the triple threat. So, first question is What's the app, resource, or tool that has been the biggest game changer for your business?
1: I would say CRM. And you already know what CRM because I saw you wearing a shirt uh, with it the other day. So, Resimply. Yeah. You use that one? Yeah. We use Resimply. And why I say that, though, is because we use Podio and other stuff in the past, and there's too much customization. Resimply just makes it literally foolproof. Yeah. Um, The scale as well. So I like that about that.
0: Yeah. They're coming out with so many cool features. Um, Yeah. It's, it's a no brainer for me, um, especially if you have a team. So number two, what has been the biggest failure in the last year and why do you think that happened to you?
1: Yes. I think the biggest failure would have, would have to be scaling too quickly. And why that was is because we had a pretty successful, base core market. Mm. And before we really had everything delegated out where we weren't as involved, we went ahead and opened up a market in Florida, 100% virtually. Mm. We did hire a acquisition manager for that market. So we had our bases covered there. But when we went in there, we were going, we went all in, like we, we, we went all in, we were spending the money. And there was a little bit of a lag that took longer to get the deals than we expected. And our, our acquisition manager actually ended up having a few deals fall through. And had those deals not fell through, we probably would still be going full in. But w- we needed to take a step back because we just weren't quite prepared to um, do both at that time. Obviously, you, you have to learn those lessons sometime to to experience it. But yeah, it was just going, going too fast. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What, would you agree that maybe like, starting virtual in a market that's an hour or two away from you just maybe the comps will be similar or do you think that's just a limiting belief of mine because i've i've contemplated branching into this other market that's about an hour and a half away from me but i haven't done it yet is it easier harder that way
1: i wouldn't i mean if you have the contacts and the connections there then sure but i would say it's definitely a limiting belief Mm -hmm. because you're going to give yourself the opportunity if you have to, to go see the house.
0: Drive there. Yeah.
1: You kind of want to remove that, right? If you're going to do that's almost worse than as if it was in your backyard because now you have to drive an hour and a half versus 20 minutes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, an hour and a half both, uh, either way. So three hours, gosh.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, The third question is our podcast, as you know, is all about helping others achieve freedom with real estate investing. And some people... You know, experience freedom in different ways—financial, lifestyle, or uh, family. So, what does freedom mean to you?
1: Freedom to me, man, is working from home and doing what I want when I want. And that means after I get on with this podcast, I can go have dinner or lunch with my family, and I can go to the park. Um, yeah. So, I have two kids and a wife, and and they're they're home, like they're in the other room, and so it's literally just doing what i want when i want and and that's that's freedom to me
0: yeah sounds like a pretty good definition so uh i know you have a program um along the behind you you have a a banner the virtual millionaire show tell the listeners about that and where they can get a hold
1: of you to learn more about your coaching yeah man i appreciate you for asking that so the virtual millionaire show is um it's a real estate podcast specifically just about showing people what's possible. Um, in in the beginning, I never dreamed of having the virtual business that I have. But it's it's really to inspire people, right? To let them know that they can live a life beyond what they thought was possible. And so that's what the Virtual Millionaire Show talks about: is um, all things real estate. We talk obviously wholesaling, but we talk bigger and more exciting things than just wholesaling, which you know we we can get into as well. But um, as far as where to find me, uh, I have a website, it's www.michaelmcdonaldrei.com. And you can check that out, learn a little bit more about me. Um, my podcast is is connected to that website, as well as I help um, people get started to start and scale their, their real estate investment business as well.
0: Awesome. Yep. I encourage people to check, check that out and I'll go subscribe to your podcast now. I, I didn't realize you had a podcast, so that's awesome. Cool, Michael. Thanks for your insights. Um, you're definitely a guy who's who, who's doing big things and who's doing a lot of, lot of deals. And it's again, like you said, it's not just about the amount of deals. That's not what we're trying to... We're not trying to get you from five deals to 20 deals just for the sake of it. We're trying to get you to um, uh, learn how to build a team if that's what you choose um, so that you can graduate onto bigger and, and greater things. So thanks for your insight today, Michael.
1: Yeah, man. Really appreciate you having me on. Thanks again thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing
0: for Freedom podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review and tune in next week for the next episode.